This is Uncommonly Remarkable, where we discuss the surprising everyday lives and notable accomplishments of community leaders, entrepreneurs, and everyday folks like you and me. My name is Artis Beatty. I am a doctor of optometry and the chief medical officer for My Eye Doctor OD. Though we will inevitably touch on topics within my area of expertise, the opinions and the conversations held here are separate from my work with My Eye Doctor. Everyone, please welcome Donna Bass to Uncommonly Remarkable. Donna, it is really a pleasure to have you here with me today. Thank you. you. Know, it is. Uh, we've been friends for a while, mm -hmm. um, and I just think your story is amazing, and some of the things you've been involved in are just absolutely out of this world. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm really, really excited to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm very excited myself to be here. This is so fantastic. So Donna Bass is the broker and owner of the company, Realty Group. Yes. And that is something that's a little new to you and uh, maybe new to a lot of the folks that are listening because I didn't understand the differences between realtors and brokers and how all that works. So we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. I think my first encounter with you was way back in the day. We were at, at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill at the same time. Everybody knows um, I am not a sports ball person whatsoever, but when you're at Carolina, you go to all of the events. And at most of these events that I went to, there were the cheerleaders and the dance team, and you were a part of the dance team. And so although we didn't know each other then, I felt like I did because you were a celebrity, because you were on the field, and I got to see you a lot then. So um, th that was an extraordinary experience for me, just being um, at Carolina. And I think that's one of the things that we share that really helped us have a strong friendship after college. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about about your Carolina experience. I know it's kind of starting in the middle, mm -hmm. but I want to start in the middle okay. um, because I, I just find that really I, I thought that time of our lives was really exciting. OK, so um, I went into Carolina in 1994 to 98. And I absolutely loved it. So the funny thing was, was that I was a cheerleader in high school. And when it came to coming to Carolina, my both my sisters had gone there. My entire family also went there. So pretty much when I got in, it was the only place I applied. <laughs> um, but the thing was, was that my sister, Sandy, was a cheerleader there. So she was already kind of starting the legacy of this whole cheerleader dancing thing. And I just said, I have to kind of do what she's doing. But the problem was is that I really couldn't tumble. So I can't, so it was like, I was this cheerleader. And now what am I going to do at Carolina if I can't really tumble? So I was taking gymnastics classes and I could do the basics, like a round off back handspring. But at Carolina, of course, it's more like gymnast cheerleaders <laughs> and trying to learn as a senior in high school, trying to get into, you know, because they start early. They actually bring you in um, before you even graduate high school to kind of start. You can do like an early, if you know you already got in, you try out in the spring instead of trying out in the fall when you actually get to school. So I was a senior in high school worried about trying to get on this cheerleader dance team thing. And I just said, okay, I did a round back handspring and I said, that's it. I'm going straight to the dance team. <laughs> 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 and the thing was with that, I went to the tryouts and they actually thought I was a little bit overweight wow. and I was not, what? I was not, no one else would probably think that before the dance team, you know, in college back then, it was important to make sure that you could 
you looked appropriate, I guess I should say, um, to dance. So I practiced all summer long and I watched what I ate. I ran every day, you know, and I mean, when I say I ran it every day, I had a route that I ran. It was a two mile route. I ran it every day in the summer. And when I came back in the fall, it was like, first of all, they didn't even see any of the dancing. They just looked at me and was like, you're on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So look, so let's, there's a couple of things. So one, thing number one mm-hmm. is you applied to Carolina. That's where you applied. That's it. I thought I was the only one. <laughs> so I did the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Like I was, uh, I went to the guidance counselor in high school and I was like, well, I'm going to go to Carolina. And she was like, well, you might want to apply to some other places. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to Carolina. So I did one application and one trip to campus <laughs> and I had no plan B. Yes. Right? Like I was going to Carolina. So it yes. is fantastic. Maybe somebody else did that too. <laughs> oh, that was it. If I didn't get in there, I would have been studying abroad. <laughs> I would have gone to Spain for a summer or something. <laughs> but that, you know, that that does speak to your, your intensity level though. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that you were really thinking about here, this is my future. This is what I want to do. And I'm going to apply myself and I'm going to get in and I'm going to go to Carolina. Yes. And there was not a doubt that that was going to happen because if there were... There was no plan, so unless you're going abroad, and I didn't think I, I never even thought about going abroad or a second school or sitting out a year or any of that stuff. It was like this is where I'm going, yes. and that's how my mind was set. Yes, and I think that's followed me forever, right? Like I, when I decide I'm going to do something, that's the something I'm going to do. Yes, I'm sorry, did I really say study abroad? I just meant go somewhere else for a year. <laughs> <laughs> Just take a trip somewhere. My mom wouldn't let me sit at home, I'm sure. (laughs) But the other thing you said about that time in your life is is the difference really in culturally the way people thought about folks that should be on the dance team. Yes. So, I mean, now it's a completely different story. They are not allowed to make you feel bad for whatever weight you are, how you look, or anything. But... 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it was a completely different story. I do remember, and this is not telling on Caroline, like I said, it was was completely natural back then. But uh, when we were on a dance team, we literally would have to kind of stand here in the mirror and the coach would walk around us. And if we had anything hanging over our pants, like a little pudge, we wouldn't dance. And I would say that because it was more so the alumni that were watching us that would complain about it. So I wouldn't say it was exactly Carolina's like, you just need to be skinny. You need to be this. You need to be that. It was more so the alumni would kind of complain in and saying she doesn't need to be wearing that outfit because we would be right on the people. So when I first got to Carolina, the dance team was not a part of the entire cheerleading team. We didn't turn into this one big spirit it was just called like a the Carolina Spirit Team. And we merged with the cheerleaders, I believe, my sophomore year. So the first year we were with the band. And by being with the band, we were in the stands, not on the field. So w- imagine being right next to people and you're in their face dancing. And that's right. why it was more like a, okay, that's too much. <laughs> 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 so that's why it was important because they would call and complain about it. But my second year, the head chilling coach, which he was a phenomenal person, um, he actually uh, choreographed later in his years, like for award shows, for like the 
maybe the hula bowl, you know, stuff like that. So he was pretty big time. Um, he said, I'm going to merge y'all together and we're all going to be on the field. So he's going to pull the dance team from the stands and put us on the field. So later years, you started seeing like the cheerleaders here, then the dancers would be in the end zone, and then we would switch every quarter, you know, type thing. Yeah. But that was so much better because it really made no sense for the dance team to be up in the stands the whole time. I didn't actually think about that. Now, I do remember now that you say it, that mm -hmm. that was the case mm -hmm. um, because we were there exactly the same time. So yes. I do remember that switch. Mm -hmm. But it is really interesting to think about how things have evolved. Yes. Right? And I'm glad they yeah. have. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Now, were you athletic in high school? Very. Yes. So I probably started lifting weights in middle school. Oh, wow. You know, I was kind of okay. introduced to it. And then in high school, when I became a cheerleader, I took like physical conditioning one and two. And I was just hooked on like exercise. <laughs> I loved it. I had actually gotten to a point in my life where I said, I want to go into the army because I just feel like I can never be trained hard enough. I need challenge. <laughs> and I've been chasing that challenge forever. As you know, we're both in CrossFit. Right. And... I've found my home, I feel like, because CrossFit is forever challenging. It does not get easier. <laughs> you may get better at some things, and it still doesn't get easier. <laughs> you just push and strive to be better at what you can do, better to get to the next level. But it's always something you're chasing because that's why a lot of people stop doing things because you can't chase anything anymore. It's like a video game. I used to play video games when I was younger. <laughs> I still probably have my Xbox and my Nintendo and everything. I still have it all at the house. But once you beat the game, you don't want to play anymore. That's it's right. not, let That's me right. go through it again. So um, with CrossFit or even with any type of exercise, I have to keep having somebody push me to go to that next level. It's never, okay, I'm done with this because I just beat it. Like, it just doesn't happen with CrossFit. <laughs> you can't beat it. <laughs> Even if we go to the games, we still can't beat it. This is very so it's, true. Yeah, you're always chasing it. So that's how I even was, like like I said, once I kind of started exercising back in the day, I have never stopped. And I love it. I've always run. I've run a half marathon. I've, actually, artists, I ran a half marathon on an air runner. <laughs> really? Yes. Now, that's a feat in itself just to yes, run a half is. marathon. But to say you ran it on something that was very constant, yeah. no scenery. I did it at the CrossFit gym one day, <laughs> just 13.1 miles. And I just said, okay, instead of running outside, let me run it in here. <laughs> now that, that for me is very interesting because I, um, I have run the Miami marathon. Mm -hmm. uh, it is the only marathon that I ran. Um, and I, convinced myself after that that I was never doing it again. Mm -hmm. It was raining. Mm -hmm. It was pouring. But the training for that marathon, I did 80% indoors. Yes. And so it is no small feat to keep yourself entertained yes. long enough to run 13 miles on yes. a treadmill. Now, mm -hmm. you uh, you mentioned Air Runner. Not everybody's familiar with an Air Runner, but an yes. Air Runner is an arc tre treadmill that does not have any motor in it. It is your stride that propels you on the air runner. So it's a lot different than running on a traditional treadmill. Yes. And it can be, it mimics outdoor running a lot better than a motorized treadmill does. And so uh, to put in the effort to run a half on an air runner is really equivalent to running it outdoors, which is that 
That's impressive. Yes, and uh, my body can attest to. (laughs) 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 I swear, I think when I got to the last five miles, because, you know, training for it, you really only trade up to about nine miles, nine or ten miles. You don't run an entire 13.1, training for 13.1. So that last five miles, four miles, when they really hit and you're like, oh, gosh, (laughs) are my hips still working right now? (laughs) My knee's still here. (laughs) But it was fun. But it was something I think that was very special because not everybody can actually focus just to stay on that and be entertained long enough to say, I'm going to, oh, I should say disciplined, you know, enough to sit on that for a little less than, you know, two and a half, three hours or however. I'm older, so I'm not fast. I, I ran it when I was thinking I was about, about 45, 44. So. <laughs> so for the record, that is not, I'm not going to call that older. It's, it's older. <laughs> it's not old. Fair enough. It's just older. Fair enough. Older. That goes into something that we, we talked about beforehand, right? Because I asked you to describe yourself in four or five single words. And the words you gave me were were confident, mm-hmm. consistent, free-spirited, hardworking, and caring. Well, let's add in discipline to that, too, now. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to add discipline. Yes. Now we're going to add discipline. Yes. In your in your opening story about um, the dance team, that, that does show some confidence, right? It certainly speaks to consistency. The fact that you're gonna go, you're gonna go and learn to tumble, and you're gonna run your two, your yes. two mile route, no matter what, yes. to get back there, right? Mm-hmm. And then the discipline to do it all over and over again, I think, is is pretty remarkable. It it also just speaks volume to some of the uh, some of the other achievements you had. Now, talking about college, I learned when we were working together on a home purchase that. Um, you are classically trained from a um, piano. Yes. I don't know where I've, I've not seen you play. I've not heard you play. Tell me a little bit more about that. Oh, it's so funny. So I started when I was four. And of course, that's the one thing that my mom made all of us do. So I have two older sisters and we all played a piano. Now, granted, I'm the baby of the family, but I'm the second best. My oldest sister literally could play like a 26-page concerto where someone's sitting there flipping her pages for her, <laughs> and she could go to town. She almost majored in music. But for myself, um, I was probably playing Bach, Brahms, Beethoven, Chopin by the time I was in the fifth grade. Wow. <laughs> so I do love it, and I have a piano in my house, and I practice now. Um, I did probably stop once I got out of college because – and, you know, once you go, I'm not I'm sorry, I probably start when I got out of high school, because once you go to college, it's like, where are you really going to practice? Um, unless you just come home and practice. But to take lessons in college, it was, especially with me being on a dance team, I didn't really have too much time to do anything else because we did practice dance probably about, um, you know, we had games that would be four hours. You're committed right. to four hours per game because um, you got to get there. You got to warm up. You got to be there at a certain time. You got to be there before the start of the game. And then you got to stay to the end of the game. <laughs> So your whole day is taken up, and then practices would be about um, three hours, like a Monday and a uh, Wednesday, and then we would do a lot of training in between. We'd do weights, we do um, cardio, running, practice, and uh, everything all week long, so you're really taken up. So I didn't have too much time to, to practice the piano unless I really majored in it, and I didn't want to go that route because I majored into two things that I loved, which were mathematics and Spanish. <laughs> 
no rhyme to my reason. It was just the two things that I love to do. But as far as piano, once I started, I was just like in love with it. And you start, you know, slow. And a lot of it was the teachers I had. If you get the right teachers, I think anybody will love anything. And I always had the best teachers. And so that's what made us stay in the piano because a lot of people will, you know, drop out of piano pretty early. Oh, I just took a year or two or a couple of months of it. But we had the best teachers growing up and I had two major ones and they just kept me so interested in it. And I did play a little bit of ragtime too, like Scott Joplin, Maple Leaf Rag and and all that kind of stuff too. And a little bit of um, jazz. But classical is my all-time favorite. I love it. When it comes on, I listen to it. I listen to it at home. I play it over the speakers. It's just a beautiful art that is just, and it makes me musically inclined to a lot of other genres too. Like I think once you play an instrument, then I'm more open to all types of music because I can find the beauty in it because it's really all just art. That's right. So you mentioned that you majored in Spanish. (laughs) And so we've talked a little bit about your major and how did you pick Spanish? And <laughs> when you picked Spanish and then something polar opposite, so you're you're really majoring in something that's an art and then majoring in, in a science um, yes. at the same time. So how did you pick these two things and what influenced you to do that? Well, first of all, I believe I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> of like some of everything. I really did the Spanish because once I started, you know, when you do that seventh, it was like right around seventh grade where they give you like a half a semester of French and half a semester of Spanish in school. And when I just got to that Spanish, oh, it was just the it language for me. I didn't really enjoy the French. It was just a little bit too hard. Um, But Spanish just like literally just resonated with me because I felt like too, I could communicate with more people. Yeah, I am a big people person, and I just felt like that was going to be more of, uh, you know, who I would be talking to, really. And I would like to communicate with people, learn a language, and keep the lines open and be the one saying, I can speak. <laughs> <laughs> I can translate for you. you know? yeah. And I literally started there. And by the time I graduated high school, I was in Spanish 5 which a lot of people don't make it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so by the time I get to Carolina, I actually placed into level four. I only had to take one semester before I went off into conversation. Yeah. And it was just this guy. I just kept going. Wow. Because, <laughs> again, it's like I said, I got all these teachers that I really enjoyed. I had, a, I had an Italian teacher that barely spoke English teaching a Spanish class. I ended up babysitting for her. So. <laughs> just so people friendly and I just met a great group of people in the Spanish department so that just really helped me stay there but the language to me is beautiful and like I said I love communicating with people that a lot of people might not be able to communicate um, with and I wanted to make people feel comfortable and I get, thought it was a great language to learn well and I think I think language opens your mind to a lot of other things as well so I was uh, I was in Spanish as well and for people who didn't grow up in North Carolina, there are a couple of things that actually happen in North Carolina education. So the language introduction um, is a seventh grade thing. Eighth grade thing is um, is North Carolina history. So there's like uh, there's certain curricula that ha- or certain things that happen in the curriculum throughout the educational period in North Carolina. And so that was my first introduction as well. I really didn't return to really thinking about language again until uh, high school. 
and um, and I went down the Spanish route um, as well. I didn't consider myself to be a Spanish expert, but I did get placed into uh, Spanish literature as my Spanish placement. So at Carolina, um, you have to take a foreign language. Yes. There is a requirement for the entering class. You take a test. They place you in the foreign language based on your skills from the from the test. And you don't get credit for going backwards. So if you place into Spanish 4, you can't go take Spanish 3 and get credit for it. You can take it, yes. but you don't get credit for taking it because they placed you in 4. And mm -hmm. so I got placed in 4, and um, I did not consider myself to be fluent and four was literature like there was there was we would go to class it was immersion you'd get there you'd be speaking spanish you'd be reading spanish literature it was an experience for me yes. and i you know i got i finished that and i was a science major and so i didn't do i did some other linguistics work because like i was like we were saying language just kind of opens your mind to things and really forgot about uh, the Spanish portion until I went to uh, South Florida for uh, for professional school, and then it all came in handy. Yes, it, it, it just made it made life a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to keep up um, as time has gone on. Of course, if you're not speaking every day, it's a little more difficult to remain conversational. Very. But, but I would I, I would hope that if I um, in an emergency situation or a helpful situation, I'd be able to chime in and be that person too. Like I can yes. do it. <laughs> Well, I will tell you, so it was funny because I am actually better at Spanish than I am at English. Wow. Is that not crazy? <laughs> but you now start, you have to tell me about that. Yeah, you start English from the time you're at your mama's house <laughs> at one. <laughs> Try to speak. And for some reason, when I when I got to care, like I said, and I placed into Spanish four, you still got to take an English or you can place out of it. I placed into level one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I had to take three semesters of English. And I said, what? <laughs> 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 but I found the reason why, because I was more into Spanish. I found it more enjoyable. It was more exciting to read for me in Spanish than it was to read something in English. Not to say I was dumb at the grammar. That's not what I'm saying. It was just... You know, Donna, read this book over here. And I'm like, where are the cliff notes <laughs> in English? <laughs> right, in Spanish, versus... I'm reading it, every word of it, you know, uh, reading it out loud, you know, trying to get better at Spanish. I just wasn't doing that with the English. <laughs> so I was like, this is crazy that I have to take three semesters of something I'm not into. <laughs> but that was my little story over there. I really just love Spanish, though, because I love the culture, too. And I was really fascinated by it, and yeah. I want to learn more about it. So, of course, as you get out of four, you really start immersing in um, the language and the culture, um, and the people in all the different types of regions of where Spanish is spoken. Even though at Carolina, we really learned Spain Spanish. Yeah. But I find that I can communicate with, a, and because of learning that one, I really can communicate with a lot of different dialects in Spanish and understand. So you, you laid this foundational work. Um, in college, you're showing your consistency, your discipline. We mentioned early on in, in the conversation that you are a the broker in charge owner of the company, Realtor mm -hmm. Group. Yes. So talk to me about your journey into real estate, because that's not where you started. 
you've picked up a lot of things on the way that have subsequently made you very successful in real estate. So talk to me a little bit about that. Okay. So as soon as I got out of college, I started working with one of my cousins who also went to Carolina, but he was in investment banking and he worked for, I think it was um, Wachovia then. So that's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he basically had the second largest pipeline in the company because he was just very good at what he did. So we were very close and he took me under his wing and he literally said, I need you to get your real estate license. That's the only reason why I got it. I just said, okay. But in the meantime of me getting my real estate license, I did work um, as an administrator of an assisted living facility just for about six months. That's just where I kind of started. I went right to work and I enjoyed doing that. It was taking care of people. So this is where the caring, caring. kind of comes in. Yeah. It was, I was the administrator. So I was on the, the um, administration side of it, not taking actual care of the patients, but I was running the facility. I wasn't exactly, I would say qualified, but we took, you know, some classes to get me up to speed, but I didn't come into it already having what I needed to really run the facility, but um, we knew the guy who owned the largest number of beds in the state of North Carolina. And so that's why he let me do it because he, he just knew I was vibrant enough, young enough and willing to learn and that I could come in there and do. And I still had guidance from other places. And so I did that only, I would say, for six months because when I got there, I found myself getting very attached to the people that lived there. And there was this one woman named Miss Mary. She had no legs. And she was 82 years old, and three of her kids had already died. They were all, only her, only three, and three of her kids died before her. So she was all by herself. I couldn't almost wait to get to work every day to go talk to her. I would sit in her room, watch soap operas with her a little bit, you know, just because you should mingle right. with the staff because I mean, with the um the patients that are there because they don't get too much interaction. Either a lot of them might not have family coming in to visit them at all. You know, some have a few people to come and some people have a few people that come once or twice a year. So you really should be talking to them to give them some sense of normalcy. But I just took to her and um, it was over the Christmas holiday. I took a few days off because I hadn't had any time off in six months because I just jumped right into the role. And you know, you don't go anywhere really just saying, I I need time off <laughs> as soon as you start a job. So um, the holidays came and I took a couple of days off. And when I came back, she passed away and I had a fit and that I said, I can't do this anymore because I was not going to be able to lose a patient like that yeah. again after becoming so attached to somebody. So I got out of that. And then, like I said, I was still just working with my cousin and all of this was kind of through him and his connections that we knew. And then, like I said, I just got my real estate license. And so we started working with Shirley Caesar. So Shirley Caesar needed funding to start up her church. She needed about $2 million. <laughs> and so guess what? She goes through Wachovia and my cousin, and that's how we ended up working with her. But we got her to funding for her money to do her church, says in Raleigh. And I started saying, this is fantastic. <laughs> and so um, once we did that, it led to a way where I met um, the coach of Tracy McGrady. Now, I'm not quite sure anybody knows who Tracy McGrady is. He was literally one of the top NBA basketball players in the early 2000s. Um, and he played for Orlando Magic. And... We made a connection with him, and we started handling his real estate. 
in his finances. So um, I was basically handling from up here, but I was on a plane every week going down there to wow, service him down okay. in Orlando. He had a higher tax liability, I yeah. should say. <laughs> of course, you would if you're making that type money for back in the day what uh, the players were making because he, he was a top athlete, so he's really making $20 million a year. And that was known. So um, he had a very high tax liability. And what we did was we got him into Walgreens and CVSs to reduce his tax liability, so we cut it in half. And doing that stuff just really just started making me see, like, this is awesome, this real estate thing. But I was really on the commercial side. And so by doing that, um, Tracy even said, oh, y'all are handling everything so well. So, hey, I have a foundation that I run. Would y'all like to handle it? And I said, well, I've never really run a foundation before. He said, but Don, I trust you. So I said, okay. So I actually planned a his biggest benefit that he had. Um, we did a sit-down dinner for 500 people, $10,000 a table. And we had Sinbad hosted. <laughs> <laughs> and we have this group called Flowetry Perform. We had an auction and everything. And it was funny. Everybody came. Doc Rivers was there. Everybody was there. It was just a great, fantastic event. I planned this just because he asked me to do it, but I committed myself to doing it. If I don't know how to do something, I'm going to, I'm never probably even still going to say no. I'm going to figure it out. Right. Oh, my god! <laughs> I can't imagine saying no to anything. If I think about it now, I don't, I don't think I've turned down anything <laughs> in life. But I took on the challenge again. And um, he called me for about three weeks and said, Donna, that was the best event I've ever had. Thank you. Because prior to that, he had only been doing bowling events. And I come in with a, oh, you want me to plan it? I'm going to go all out. <laughs> And we raised a lot of money um, for him. Like I said, he had a great time. And I just started seeing me because I was young and I'm trying to learn where my niche is, what I'm going to like. And I realized I like helping people. I like challenges. I like um, figuring things out, growing into things, not saying, no, I can't just because, you know, even if I'm scared, I like a challenge. I'm going to try to do it anyway. But if you're going to try to do it, you better still give your all because nobody wants you to try and have, excuse my language, ask anything. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, um, and then not really try to do something. But I just said, I'm going to commit to doing it. And I did. And it actually turned out well. And then from that, it led me to go into residential real estate. So here you are, really fresh out of college. I mean, you had a little stop. And you go from graduation to really caring for people, which um, there's some other things about the way you care for people that we that we should talk about here in just a bit. But you end up with celebrity status, right? So you, you've got Sinbad hosting an event with Floretry performing. And this is kind of your, this is early in your real estate career, this venture, right? Yes. And I, I've watched you, I have watched you plan other events and some of the people that you've been able to call on and, and put into these events so that you can do fundraisers or bring, uh, bring joy to other folks. And it's, it's interesting just to hear this. That's not new for you. This is what you've been doing. Yes. So you made the transition to residential real estate. Which is a different world than, yes. than the commercial piece. Yes. What I find fascinating, and you are welcome to tell me that you're not going to disclose, but there are Netflix shows that everybody is addicted to. Yes. You know? Yes. They're selling Sunset. Me too. Right. <laughs> there is, um, the what is the one selling the OC? 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's the show in um, in Tampa. In Tampa. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there was New York Mill Dollar Listing. Like, there's all these shows yes. around real estate and residential real estate and the cost associated with uh, residential real estate. And you see these realtors and uh, their brokers, and they talk about the dollar figures in the sales that they have, right? I was so impressed with them until I met you. (laughs) And what's amazing to me is that what we see on TV from the folks that are now famous and some of them infamous, right, from these shows, and they are very public about the volume of, of business that they do and very public about the size of the estates that they deal with. You, on the other hand, don't do that, but I know that you outdo these people on, <laughs> on, on a, in a major way. Yes. Can you talk about that just a little oh bit? Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. So first of all, I love these shows. I will binge watch. It's not like I can see an episode and knowing there are nine more right at my fingertips and go away. <laughs> <laughs> I have to sit there and binge watch everything. I can't wait for a season to come out. So, yes, the funny thing is, is that I've watched, I think, like you said, Selling the OC, um, Selling Tampa, um, the ones in New York, the Million Dollar Listings of Once, Miami. Oh, my God. I've watched all the designer shows. I've watched everything. And I sit there and I say, okay, first of all, they're winning because of the size of homes that they have. But if you really delve down deep into it, you know, whatever – I do the same thing that they do, just on a smaller scale. So I would crush. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably crush all of them. (laughs) Um, Like I said, because you just got to look at the prices of the houses right now. Like our price here, our average house is uh, probably about $450,000 to $700,000 for just average house. And an average house there could easily be a million dollars, you know, and then... Um, so they got, they're just lucky in location. But the funny thing is, I'm, I always think, I say, could I do a show here? Absolutely. I could do a show here. Problem is, I don't dress in heels. <laughs> 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 I cannot walk in heels up the driveway, much less through a house. <laughs> That is just not happening. So I am also probably known as the flip-flop agent. (laughs) (laughs) I was out with one of my clients the other day, and we did go do a little shopping. And the funny thing is is that, you know, she's my biggest client, so you know her well. (laughs) And she said to me, well, I told her, you know, I was looking at buying this purse, and I said, if I buy this purse, I'm going to dress up more. And she said, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Donna Bass, you are not going to dress up more. You're going to wear your flip-flops and jeans no matter what. And I said, you know what? (laughs) That's consistency. (laughs) I was like, she knows that I am true to myself, and I still dress in my flip-flops and my jeans to sell homes, which is why they might not do a show on me. (laughs) But if they did, they would come and get, you know, it's always too, like every year is different. You don't know what you're going to sell year to year. Real estate is very changing as in locations. We just are very fortunate here to live in one of the fastest growing markets in the country. Um, we're literally in the top five of everything. You know, we're number one in business right now. We have the highest concentration of colleges. We're a retirement state. Um, so we draw a lot of people in here. We have high medical here. You know, a lot of stuff yeah. came through here for COVID. And so we're very fortunate that the real estate market is constantly changing, but still 
as a real estate agent, you just never know where your next client's going to come from. And so um, I pride myself on my customer service because artists, I swear, before I can even sit down in a chair, I'm getting a call from somebody saying, I heard you sold such and such a house. Can you help me? Yeah. Or this person said you did such a fantastic job. Can you help me? And I'm so thankful for that because I really don't do any marketing. <laughs> well, you know, that, that I think that's what drew me mm -hmm. um, to, to work with you. Right. And, and I without hesitation, recommend you for anyone that I know that says, hey, I need to talk to someone. I'm looking for a home or I need to sell a home. I've never encountered someone who is as dedicated and consistent with their customer service. Well, thank you. And this is, and some of this is relatively public. You can go and look for it. But I think when we talk about consistency, you've been a top producing realtor for a long time, yes. right? Um, and so- I think every year since 2018, you've been in the $10 million plus range of yes. sales, right? And here, a $10 million person is a super seller. Because like I said, our average house is $450,000 to $700,000. So if you're doing even $10 million, that's every realtor's dream is just to get to that point. And I started off, so I didn't go into real estate full-time until 2017. And so there's a whole section of life right there. You're like, what did you do? I'll tell you that uh, in a minute. <laughs> but once it, like 2017 hit and it was right around June, and that's the only reason why 2000, 2017 wasn't a full-on year. But by the time 2018 came, I started doing 10 million. The next year I did 12.5 million. The next year I did 15 million. Then I did 24 million. And then I did $28 million. And that's closed sales that is not pipeline into the next year or right. anything that is from january to december what i closed on and that is by myself and when i say by myself this is because i didn't start up the company until august of uh 2022 um that's when i started up the company but it really wasn't operational until about october mm -hmm. i didn't but i was just only hiring agents so prior to that i did all my own put out my own signs. I did all my own showings. I wrote all my own contracts. I did, you know, I have my network of people that I use. I have my attorney that I normally use, my lender, my insurance agent. I set up all the emails and everything to go out to say, to connect everybody, to um, get started. And like I said, I made all my nightly phone calls to people, my follow-up calls, got my own gifts for people. I mean, I just did everything myself. And I was happy to do it. I never felt like I was struggling or or anything because when you find something that you really love to do, it doesn't really always feel like work. And then you're helping people. And so in helping people, I was just so excited. When I could sell a house, so the name of the company is called The Company Realty Group. And I named it the company because I wanted to really make sure that it encompassed everybody. Mm -hmm. Although I have sold multi-million dollar homes, people always ask me, are you just going to be in the luxury market now? Yeah. And I say, why? <laughs> why would I do that when I can sell somebody a $200,000 house? And they're so appreciative, you know, and so thankful that I help them because a lot of agents won't help anybody unless they are at a certain price point. But I find it just as rewarding to do a $200,000 house mm -hmm. as a $3 million or a $6 million house. Um, I could do somebody who only is buying $80,000 flip, and I'm still just – I get just as excited to write that contract. I will not say, oh, what's only $80,000 house or, you know, property that's going to be flipped. I'll do that tomorrow. No, it's 9 o'clock at night. 
<laughs> let me get me a drink, <laughs> get my laptop, and you know, get on my computer, and I'm writing that contract up tonight. Yeah. I don't wait till tomorrow just because I might not make enough, you know, or a lot of money off of it. What people consider, I it's just like the kill of the deal. I yeah. get so excited to write a contract. I don't care what it is. If somebody comes back and says your offer is accepted, it's like I win the lottery. <laughs> yeah, and I'm celebrating and I'm whooping and hollering no matter what price point point it is. So I just love real estate. That part for me is what's amazing, right? And I think it's when when you think about what makes people successful. A lot of it is in the drive, the things that kind of get them up in the morning, get them out doing things. And But it's the consistency about the way you approach things, right? Yes. And you you are consistently saying, hey, I have um, I've got to work on this. I've got to get this done. The, the thing that I that I find amazing is that you tend to do it without the client knowing that you have other clients, <laughs> which is. I, I don't know how you find enough time in the day to be able to do that, but it's it's the way you actually make everyone feel as if they are your only client. Everyone is special to you. And what you just described, no matter what the price range is or what that you're looking at for property, everybody's treated the same. Yes. And that's very important. Like this is a public service announcement right here. <laughs> Never tell anyone you have more clients. It's already understood that if you're in the service industry, you have multiple clients. That's right. <laughs> so it does not need to be said. I will never say that to anybody because it just automatically sets a tone for that client to already feel like you're going to make excuses, you know, for something. Oh, this didn't get done. I have other clients besides you. <laughs> Why would you ever say that to anyone? So I really don't tell anybody, oh, I'm working with five other people right now. I'm working with 10 other people right now. No one will ever know. And everybody gets the same level of customer service. I treat somebody who doesn't have a high expensive house to go get out. You can only afford this. Let's go. We're going today. We're going looking. Not, oh, we'll just look whenever. I would never do that to them because like I said, so I had this one girl Single mother, two kids, a regular job. And a regular job just means no commissions, no anything. It's just a W-2 job. Mm -hmm. Not making a lot of money, but it was a very steady job. And her max budget was $250,000 in a market that's growing. And two hundred and fifty dollars used to be decent for back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, now, two hundred and fifty really doesn't get you anything. But I told her, I said... She asked me, she said, Donna, will you work with me? You know, she couldn't find anybody else to really work with her. And I said, I absolutely will work with you. I said, but you got to listen to me. You have to listen to me. I said, if I'm going to take the time to help you, which I am, then when I tell you, you can't, this this house is not going to work for you or this or that. Right. You just need to say, okay, you know, don't fight me. I said, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm only going to put you in the best deal that possible, but I'm also not going to let you... Um, you know, look at stuff that you just are not going to be able to get right now because of us going into multiple offers and stuff. And a lot of people want to control you as a realtor, but I really believe the realtor needs to control the situation mm -hmm. because clients don't know. You know, you're coming to me for the help anyway. So it's weird when people want to tell me exactly how, Donna, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, okay, how many houses have you sold? <laughs> <laughs> To your one in the past 10 years, right. I've sold 10 this month. 
<laughs> you know, but I'm saying that still in a nice way. I'm not saying, right. you know, I'm just saying it in a way of you need to listen to your realtor because, um, like I said, you will spin your wheels. You'll get frustrated not knowing what to do and letting a person who does not know what to do and hasn't done it often control a situation. And that's in any scenario anywhere that just calls for frustration. And this is why a lot of people get frustrated with agents and everything. And it's probably because they were trying to lead the conversation, Yeah, you know, lead the yeah. show, lead the show. So I really take control saying, I've got you pre-qualified for this. This is what you tell me what areas you're looking at. You tell me all your criteria, like I said, but if you tell, if I tell you that this house is absolutely not going to work, when I mean, I say that it means your budget. It's just not. Some people think, but I can do, we're going to squeeze. No, I've talked to the lender thoroughly. I know exactly what you can do. We're not even going to go see that today unless we know we can going to get some money off of it. Because right. like I said, that's how you kind of get burned out doing some real estate. And I work seven days a week all year long. I might get one day at a holiday, but it's so funny when people have a week off, they just automatically say, I'm off. You should be working. <laughs> That's how it works. That's, That's how, it, how works. it works. And yeah. I just say, you know what? Okay, you're right. Let's go. Never turn away. You want to be good in real estate? Never tell, tell a client, um, I'll get to you later or I'm off. You know, I don't do that, really, because I don't travel. And that goes for any client-based business, yes. right? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, in, in my field, it's the same way. When people have holidays, they're, um, they're not going to work. Yes. The expectation is we are going to be there because <laughs> they need, they're like, I don't have time when I'm working. I'm yes. not working. Yes. You should be there. Yes, right? exactly. Um, and, so, and so I get that totally. Yeah, it's the same thing, you know. So that's why, like I said, you have to take control of the situation. So I'm not saying it in any negative way. Everything I'm saying is completely positive. This is for all the realtors out there that will listen to this podcast is you have to control the situation or you will get burned out one day. I don't like real estate. Oh, I've spend spending my wheels. I don't feel like I'm spending my wheels ever because I take control. But I'm also going to find the client the best house possible for them listening to them because Sometimes a client thinks they thinks they know, you know, everybody thinks they know what's best for them sometimes, but you have to look at everything and they don't always look at everything. Does that make sense? It makes, okay. it makes total sense. It makes total sense. In my mind, I'm reconciling this level of thought yes. into approaching every client, yes. thinking about every deal and the fact that in 2022, there was $28 million worth of that. And I just watched a selling sunset or maybe selling OC where the realtor was celebrating $10 million in sales. Yes. yes! <laughs> so like, it just, it puts it in real perspective for yes. me that, um, you know, it's glitz, glamour, yes. TV stuff is fun. Yes. Right. Yes. But when it comes down to it, sometimes those folks are just not, not only are they not extraordinary, they're just, they're not even average, but they, because of being on the shows and that sort of thing, those are the types of things that people see. Yes. And I really like to bring that out, right? Yes. Because it, it, it's, it's a lot of acting. A, that's right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. And, so, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I don't want anybody to think sure. that I'm just beating. I actually like these shows. I get excited. And you know what I do? I tell all my agents, because I have 10 agents under me, and I, I'll text everybody, y'all better binge watch these shows. <laughs> and you know why? It's because to know what to do and what not, not to, do, to do. Because yeah. they are literally showing you what's good and what's bad. Yeah. I've seen an episode where a girl went into a house um, with a client, probably like, he was going to do 15, 20 million somewhere. I don't know. Either way, 
it didn't matter what the price point was when you think when you're teaching somebody this. But she went in that house and he had some questions for her and she could not answer those. I was like, I don't care if this house is, you know, three hundred thousand dollars. You better know what kind of countertops those are, <laughs> what type of flooring that is. <laughs> because if you don't know who is. Exactly. Yeah. Like never get stumped by a client. If a client wants to see something and you're just out driving and they say, Hey, can we go see this property? You haven't had time to look at it. Different story. But if you actually have time. Research a little bit, you know, pull yeah. up, look through the pictures just so you know what you're getting into. So you don't go into the property and say, oh, how many square feet is this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything is on your phone. You better be able to pull up the statistics. So what a lot of people look at for an agent is knowledge. Go ahead and tell them as soon as you walk in the door. Oh, this house is 3,500 square feet. It was built in 2014. If you start doing some of those things. Then that would alleviate some of the already thinking, well, you don't, you're not helping me. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're like, they they already like some of those things. So you need to know your craft. You know, I believe everybody should be good at one thing, like be great at one thing in life. And I think I'm great at real estate. <laughs> <laughs> and then that goes back to the yeah. confidence. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. I am. You know why, too? Because when I did my 28 million, I actually was recommended for this magazine called Top Producers. Mm -hmm. And it is a very mm -hmm. legit, I had to look into it. You know, it was yeah. a very legit magazine here. Um, nice, very nice publication. Um, I was recommended to them because you have to be recommended. Like they don't just go out looking for everybody. Somebody kind of just puts you on their radar, but they look into you and the, if they like what they see, then they'll call you up. Well, I got the call and I had to do an interview. I had to do all this stuff and yeah. they really started looking into me. And when they found that I did $28 million, they really were amazed. And so then it became, do you make the cover or do we just put you in as an article within the, the uh, magazine? I said, well, actually, I'm actually kind of happy with anything you do, <laughs> but I would have liked to have been on the cover. But they said, well, you really got to do $35 million to be on the cover. And I said... 35 million by yourself and they said no it could be a team it could be two people it could be 10 people and I said wait a minute I just did 25 million I mean 28 million by myself but you're telling me it could be two people to do 35 million do you have anybody really that did 35 million by themselves because if you don't then put me on the cover at 28 by myself and see how that doesn't motivate yeah. <laughs> you know some people to step up their game because if that's the case I'll bring my whole team here next year and then see how it goes but that would have been a team of people right. to do $35 million. So I wasn't far off by myself. And I thought that was an accomplishment in itself. But I was happy with the Trailblazer article that they did on me. And they um, actually put me in the January issue of 2023. And I was super excited about it. Anyway, it was still great marketing for me. Sure. Um, it just really put me out there, you know, on the map. And it let everybody know, oh, Donna really is good. Well, they already knew that. But sometimes <laughs> you don't really know it until someone puts you in a magazine. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. But I, I, I would assume that we will be seeing you on the cover at the post yes, 35 million very soon. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me I can't do something. <laughs> they have they will have learned that lesson. Yes. So in 2004, like I said, I started off, I was working with celebrities, doing real estate, commercial real estate and everything. And then um, my cousin and I ended up parting ways working because I really did. You really can get burned out working with celebrities. But it really wasn't that. It was more so me and my cousins just started bumping heads on some things. Because, you know, the more you start growing, the more you start learning. The, and, uh, you know, it's all still work, you know, related. So we bumped heads a little bit and we went our separate ways. And so I had to find a job. <laughs> it was kind of like, 
I didn't, I didn't feel like I was still, I felt like I was so new in real estate still. And I hadn't really done too much residential to the fact of, okay, well, that wasn't really an option for me to go full-time into real estate right then and there. Um, so I went through a temp company and I got a job. Well, the first thing they asked me, you know, they ask you all these questions like, what can you do? And blah, 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 blah. And one of them was like, well, we have an admin position open and I was basically like I'm not an admin <laughs> but I don't turn down anything though <laughs> you know? so I said even though I'm not an admin I'll take it on I don't have a job beggars can't be choosy right so I said okay I'll try this out and the first job was or well, it was only one job so um, it was going to be an admin for a plant manager that they found was pretty difficult to work with. But Donna, you got a good personality, so we're going to put you with him. <laughs> and I, I almost cringed, but I said, okay. <laughs> so I hadn't worked in manufacturing before ever, and it was a huge company. I mean, it was a global manufacturing company. And this was the plant manager of the operation here, which was a pretty big um, operation. And this guy, for some reason, I got along with him. Because you know why? I did everything he asked me to do, and then some. He loved me so much that um, I only worked for him for a couple of months before a staffing company comes in called Manpower. You know, everybody oh, yeah. knew Manpower. Oh, yeah. Manpower, had, I'm sorry, Manpower had the contract there. And then a company from California, a very small company comes in from California um, to try to challenge this Manpower contract. Now... I was working for Manpower, technically. But um, the company comes in, and they went out the bid, and so Manpower was going to be gone. And they asked this guy, you know, since they were a California company, they asked the plant manager, do you have anybody here that you would recommend to be the on-site for the company? And he said, Donna, because she's not an admin. <laughs> <laughs> so I really only did that for a couple of months, but look where it led me. That's right. This is why you don't turn down everything. I took an admin job making $14 an hour and turned it into, I became the on-site for this staffing company, grew it from one office to six states, and became <laughs> the director of operations for the East Coast for this company. <laughs> Off of one admin job that nobody else could do, but they said, you could do it, Donna. And I said, you're right. I know I can. And I did. And actually, even when I took over with the new staffing company, I still hadn't found a replacement for myself. So I was actually still doing the admin work for the plant manager on top of, of doing the top job. <laughs> he had no problem still asking me to do his stuff. <laughs> but I just ran with it to the point to where... Like I said, grew it from one office to six states. Uh, we were a private-owned company making about $88 million a year. I was bringing in $20 million of it <laughs> myself. I had two assistants, um, and we would just go. Like I said, you get a good, good people with you. I say, we got to go to New Jersey tomorrow. Y'all coming? Let's go. We're on the way. Okay. <laughs> and we would, because I treated them well as well. You know, we would get to New Jersey. We ate. We drank. We being married, we take all our clients out, but we worked hard though, because I was never going to let anybody come in and say, this little girl can't do this job. Because that was the thing. I was, of course, younger then. Yeah. So I looked younger then. So I would come into these plants, these manufacturing men, oh, like men everywhere plants. <laughs> Not a lot of women in manufacturing and contract manufacturing. And so I would come in there and they would kind of look at me like, who is this little girl? And I was like, something is out. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't know that, you know, because I right. probably did look younger still. 
But um, it wasn't until, like I said, I just would put my foot down and say, I'm going to get this facility staffed. And they would all look at me and say, okay, yeah, right. We're going to give you 50 people. We need them by Monday. You're going to have it? Yes, I'm going to have it. And I did. <laughs> and so that's how they got, kept, I kept growing and kept growing. And I never had one client leave me in the 14 years that I was staffing because they and they would have never thought I would just come in and be out so I mean I won contracts as well I still had to go in nothing was given to me everything I had to work for I never had a birthday off I never had Christmas off probably because what people don't understand is contract manufacturing puts product out to the world Mm -hmm. and they work all the time nobody has off when you got to get computers out for Christmas (laughs) you know they work seven days a week run three shifts you know, a day to get these products out. Sometimes now it is up and down a little bit and be like, we need 200 people for the next over the next month. And then all of a sudden we're laying off 300 people, you Mm -hmm. know, so it was up and down. But I just focused and said, I'm going to do this. I don't care if I had one eye open when I was tired. I was never going to let anybody say, I knew that little girl wasn't going to come in here and do anything. (laughs) (laughs) I knew she wasn't going to do anything. And I said, that is not going to be me to the point to where when I finally left the company, I worked there so long, I found that I had a pituitary tumor. And finding that out, it's kind of like, well, where did this come from? I didn't know, was it stress related? I didn't really look at my life as... Everything was stressed because I enjoyed my job. And this all comes back into the caring and the, you know, uh, dedication, the discipline, the everything, because I had to be very disciplined to have um, all these opportunities to employ people. And I gave jobs to a lot of folks, but you have to make them stay. You can give a job to somebody. It doesn't mean they're going to be here tomorrow. It doesn't mean they're going to be here in six months. But I related to my employees so well and took such care of them because I said, what if this is my mom or my dad that had this type job? And they're coming in here to work in these plants. And not all facilities treat people well. That's right. Manufacturing companies, they just really look at them as a cost. You know, oh, these people are coming here and costing us to work. How can we skim them down and that's where you get layoffs from right how can we make it more lean which is lean manufacturing how can we lean it down and then make it so that we can run a skeleton crew to produce the most and make the most money that's really just how it works and so but I just told I would look at everybody that I would hire and say I'm going to hire you and I'm going to find a way for you to pay for your family to eat to have a roof over your head and you will have a job with me I just need you to communicate. You need time off, a day off or anything, that's fine. You're going to be late, just call. You know, um, and if you treat people like that, like I gave big Christmas dinners and Thanksgiving dinners and I walked around and I knew everybody. I knew who was married, who had kids, who did not have anybody, everything, whose parents were, you know, across the country, you know, or something. I talked to all of my employees and knew everybody by name in all of my states. Well, of course, when I started hiring outside of the state, you know, I had to hire on site to handle each facility. Um, But I would go up so much and just make sure everything was running right. And then plus when they get big Uh, orders in for people, Mm -hmm. I would have to kind of go and and help out. But um, it was very rewarding. It really is to give people jobs to provide for their family. I find that just fascinating (laughs) that I am paying you to live, (laughs) you know, and that you can find the comfort and that I'm not just going to fire you if I can help it. I can tell you that right now. If you come and do everything you're supposed to do, then you're going to you're going to make it. 
And that's how I was pretty successful in there. It was all about customer service. It was all about taking care of people, knowing people, because people, when they don't feel like you care, will leave. That's right. Oh, they won't call. That's right. They just won't show up. You're calling them 10 times. But um, people would literally come to work because they were like, oh, no, not Miss Donna. I, I would <laughs> dare do that to her. <laughs> and I developed that relationship, which is why, like I said, I did that for 14 years until I found out I had a pituitary tumor. And I didn't know if it was stress related or not, but I needed to see, you know, because the doctor kind of told me then, well, maybe it is. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this type high paced job because it was very stressful. I might not have looked at it as it's, it was stressful, but I don't really know too many people that would have done it all the time. Like I said, I never had a birthday off or anything. Uh, my clients became my friends because I hung around them so much. I was always at work that I'm like, we're going out. Were you going out with the people you knew from college? Are you going out with the people you know right. from work? We're work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would invite them to my wedding if I ever got married. You know, that's how tight we were at work because you work all the time in contract manufacturing. So I finally said... I'm leaving. Oh, my company did not even want to hear that. Donna, stay in some capacity. They were trying to get me to stay. They didn't want me to leave. But I was like, y'all, this is, you know, my health here. I don't know really what it is. I can't say. But like I said, we tried to give about six months to see if the, um, the tumor shrank or anything like that. And it did not. You know, I don't know if now, knowing what I know, I don't know if it really would have yeah, <laughs> because right. it really hasn't shrunk in this entire time anyway. And that was, I found out when I was 40 and I'm 47. So um, it's been the same size, but still then you didn't know. And they were telling me it could be this or whatever. And it could shrink. We're going to put you on some medication and see. So that's when I said, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because by this point I was only doing a few houses a year. Um, for people that I knew, I wasn't marketing that at all because I was swamped. I was working a hundred well, hours a week. Be. Yeah. Yeah. I was working a hundred hours a week. Easy on salary. <laughs> um, like I said, and I had two assistants. So I was constantly like, it, there was no such thing as day off. So when I said, Donna, you did this for this company to where I never had to ask for a raise. They always took care of me. When you got somebody good and golden, you take care of them because you do not want them to leave. I never had to ask for anything. So um, now I was like, but I got to go. What do I do? And I said, if you can do this for these global manufacturing company, I had dealings with like the top 10 companies in the world from the global manufacturing, huge contract manufacturing companies. And, um, I had their business here. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like it was all their biggest business. It was just a business here. But these were big companies, uh, meaning they got most of the big products that were coming in. We were always working. Um, and I said, well, dang, why don't you just go into real estate full time? Was I scared? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly can't say if I was really scared or not because I knew that I did not sleep when they needed 60 people. Oh, it's no such thing as you get ready to stop work tonight at five o'clock. You know, if you got to work till you go to bed yeah. and you got to work, you got to make, I'm making phone calls at 11 o'clock at night. I got a job for you. Can you start tomorrow? Um, but if I could do that, why can I not do real That's estate right. that way? That's right. And you've, and you've, and you've taken, you took that ethic yes. uh, and, and rolled it into what you do. Yes. Rolled it right into what I did. And that's when in 2017, I went right into real estate and I started off just posting out pictures of average houses saying, this would make a good rental. This would make a good first time home buyer house, you know, or something. That's all I did. That's all I did. Yeah, I made my page public, you know, on Facebook and Instagram and finally opened up because I was kind of private prior to that. You know, as far yeah. as just stuff, you know, for my exact life, I didn't have it so everybody could see it. I wasn't really this Instagram 
internet maven or nothing <laughs> and posting everything and video and everything. But I said, um, I got to open up and be a little bit more seen. And that's all I did. And next thing you know, the deal started coming in and everything. And I fight for, like I said, my very first client when I first got out all the way to still now. I'm still just as excited then. I'm not tired of it. I love it. And I've done a lot. <laughs> You've done a lot. Donna, now we have talked about a lot of things. We did not talk yet about the caring side of you. And I do I do want to make sure that we talk about that just a little yes. bit. Okay. Um, because you have been involved in Haven House mm -hmm. and you also uh, do an annual fundraiser for uh, for breast cancer awareness and yes. research. Mm -hmm. And I know that the uh, impetus for the fundraiser for uh, breast cancer uh, awareness and research was a was a friendship, a dear friendship that um, that you had. Um, yes. Can we talk about that just a little yes, bit? Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay, so like I said, I've been at CrossFit RDU since almost 2016, somewhere around there. I ended up getting there and becoming friends with a couple. They came to one of our competitions, and I love that they came. And after that. The rest is almost history. We became like the best of friends, meaning we would all go to class together. I mean, I would literally call, y'all going to class? You know, we all on text and everything, uh -huh. going to class today, going to class today, what time are we going to class today? Make sure we all went to the same class. And my face would just light up. It was um, Phil Williams and Gloria Williams. And my face would just light up when Gloria just walked into the room. Like, I felt like this was my soul sister type, soulmate um, friend. You know, sometimes you just haven't had, you don't realize when you don't, when you get older that, you know, you yes, you have friends, but you always think of them as ones you've known forever. Well, I didn't know this woman long and we just meshed. It was just like she went to Carolina as well. And so uh, we just meshed. But the thing was, was that as I was meeting her, she was just getting over breast cancer for the first time. And so um, I was super excited. You know, she everything seemed to be going well. And then uh, one year she comes to me, I believe it was 2018, December 2018, her birthday was on Christmas, and we actually go out to dinner somewhere around that time frame. And her and her husband sat me down and said, the breast cancer has returned. And I cried. I cried at the table. I cried. I just couldn't even stop crying because I just felt like, you know, this was my bestest friend, you know, that I've had in a long time. And I was just, I just took to her and I was like, what does this mean? And so at that time, I don't know if I really even understood it because you just always believe everything's just going to turn out well. Yeah. But what happened was that was December 2018. Um, so she was fighting cancer. I started going with her to some of her treatments at Carolina and uh, sitting with her, relieving her husband and everything. And it was right around Memorial Weekend um, of 20, uh, 2019. That weekend, we had done Hero Week <laughs> and... Um, we missed a, I missed a workout and she was going to go do the Susan G. Komen uh, race. I went to go do that with her, but because I didn't run the whole thing, I now needed to get my workout on. So she did that whole race and then came with me over to CrossFit RDU to do another workout. And then the very next day, she went down to um, Myrtle Beach to run a marathon. <laughs> a half, I forgot if it was a half marathon or a full marathon. Either way, it was kind of like, should you be doing all this? <laughs> 
So she did because she was, you know, just very into fitness. You Mm -hmm. know, it really was one of the only things that made her better. And she did come to the gym after her chemo treatments. She didn't wait till the next day. She would go have a chemo treatment in the morning and she could come in the RDU in the afternoon. So um, after that race, I was at the pool on Monday because it was Labor Day. And I get, I'm, I'm thinking about her. I was thinking maybe she might come meet me. And when she finally calls me back, she says she's in the hospital. And I was like, what? I'm on the way. She was in the hospital for nine days. I was there for eight of the nine days. Um, she was transferred from that hospital to one. And they were basically saying that the um, cancer was spreading and it was on her liver and it was just getting bigger on her liver. And it was just kind of like, okay, so still, you know, what does this mean? And so I literally took off the rest of the summer. Now, I finished out the clients that I currently had. If you Mm -hmm. were already under contract, then I was going to finish you out. But I really wasn't picking up any new clients because I wanted to be at her beck and call. So Mm -hmm. I went with her to um, all her treatments. You know, I was happy to go. I would just take my computer, go sit with her all day as long as I was just with her. And it is a process. Right. To get it chemo. Is. It yeah. is not you walk in and you just, there it is. You have to go get blood work first. They have to make sure you're okay to even take the chemo for the day. And then they have to mix it. And then they let you have it. And it takes a couple hours. So I would be there all day, but I was happy to be there for her. Right. Well, after that, you know, like I said, it was just more like it just kept kind of going down heal. So we planned actually a benefit for her while she was still here. So that was Memorial Day. And then by July 20th is when we actually had our first annual, you know, do it for Gloria event. And she was still here. Now, at the time, I did not know it was going to become an annual event. You yeah. know, it was just really we were doing it for her to show her that we loved her. And by that time in July, now, mind you, she had already done all this stuff for Hero Week. And all this working out by July 20th, she couldn't work out anymore. She could not do the workout, but she was there. And I was so happy that we did that for her because it not only surprised her to see all the people that turned out to do the workout um, for her in her name. She was just taken aback. And then my birthday was on the 14th of July. And but I waited to celebrate it until I wanted to get this cancer benefit over with. Mm-hmm. And so that cancer benefit was that day. And I said, well, we'll just celebrate tonight. And then I was like, but can Gloria come to my birthday? Oh, she showed up. Because she was like, you showed up and showed out for me. I would not miss this. So she came and I cried. <laughs> I <laughs> cried there because it was like, oh, my God. You know, you just almost didn't think she could come because by this point, like I said, her energy was gone. And it was just struggling day to day. And so she came and we celebrated. We danced. And, and that was the best present that I got. And then within another month and a week, she passed away. And we've been doing the benefit ever since. And it's, I still have her phone number on my uh, important list on my phone, my starred people and everything. I ha- haven't removed it yet, and I probably won't <laughs> because she just was so impactful to me. Yeah. We could go out and just um, sit out all night long, and she ne- we never talked about people. You know, like I, I believe people do well in life who don't spend a lot of time focusing on other folks mm-hmm. and what they're doing. And we would just go out and just talk about us and life and having fun. And, and that was real refreshing, you know, to right. find somebody like that. So we just took to each other just very well. So I was there to the end. I had the pleasure of, of knowing Gloria as well. And the amount of, of just inspiration she was able to give people, even though she didn't feel well. Like I, I actually never knew Gloria when she felt well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to know that 
she was such a shining star during that time was amazing. Yes, she was a star. And so, you know, I think you just pointed out a few things that people should hang on to, right? The the fact that you should focus on those that are important to you. Yes. And the time you get to spend with them. Yes. And less on just other people. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and where they are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I do think um, you you are you are absolutely correct in that some of the greatest people are those that learn to do that and they learn to do it early. Yes, absolutely. No time spent on other people. We had a great last you know few months just being together and helping her with whatever she needed. I mean, I just couldn't. If she wanted a bite of cheesecake, she didn't need to eat the whole thing. She just wanted a bite of cheesecake. I'll be back. <laughs> Let me go get you that cheesecake real quick, girl. <laughs> You go get whatever you want hanging around me. <laughs> Donna Vash, you are amazing. And, you know, and, and everybody who knows you tells you uh, about your laugh. Like, when you laugh, everybody has to laugh. <laughs> and I'm over here trying yeah. not to giggle the entire time, but it's very hard because you laugh, and it is great. Yes. And laugh, laughing is infectious, is it not? It is. Just like you're it sitting is. in a class and you're not supposed to laugh, and then one person starts laughing, and the next person starts laughing. It's never one person laughs, and you're just sitting there looking at them saying, what are you doing? You're just like, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> but the thing laugh is, too. you're the one that starts to laugh. Yes, I'm the one that starts <laughs> to laugh, and I'm like, uh-oh, I'm going to have to get up and walk out. <laughs> Donna, I always enjoy getting to spend some time with you. You know, we don't get to do it as much as we should. I know. But, you know, I think this is this is great. You know, I asked you early on, I said, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna do something different for me. Would you come and have a conversation with me? And you said you would. Yes. And so I appreciate you taking time out of your day this to fantastic. spend with me today. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy this artist, and I'm very, very, very proud of you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we're going to definitely have you back. Absolutely. Uh, because there's uh, there's lots more to Donna Bass to talk about. But thank you again for coming to join me. Hopefully you'll find some time to relax over the course of this weekend. I'll try. 